Block Party is a tech culture podcast. We do tech for the people. We cover topics ranging from cryptocurrencies, blockchain, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and more. Our guests include entrepreneurs, creatives, and influencers. Block Party takes a unique view of tech through the lens of the people living it. Block Party is tech culture. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of Block Party. Today's guest is Miles, a professional NFT trader and moderator for the Lost Samurai's community. And today he joins us to tell us more about his personal experience here in Web3. Miles, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, happy to be here and talk about uh, Lost Samurai's and the uh, Arbitrum Network, which is, I believe, going to be like an upcoming meta for uh, the NFT space and upcoming projects. Yeah, and I've been very interested in, in Arbitrum and what it's able to do. And before we even get into why there's so much hype around this, uh, this new protocol and, and how it's going to change the name of the game, I want to get people more familiar with who you are and what you do and how you got started here. So for the people listening at home, do you mind giving a brief introduction of who you are? Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously, my name is Miles. I've been in the NFT space for about five to six months, and I got... Uh, it was a pretty easy transition uh, for me into the space because for about four years, I was heavily involved with sneaker reselling, which is uh, buying and selling sneakers for retail, selling for profit. Mm -hmm. And it kind of was a, a easier transition for me uh, when coming into the metaverse. And I got into the space to begin with because uh, over time, I noticed that the, the sneaker market kind of started to die a bit and things weren't as profitable as usual. And then I was hearing a lot of people talking about NFTs and whatnot. And I just thought I might as well hop on the train. And uh, I do not regret it whatsoever. And I was, if anything, I just regret not coming sooner. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the space has obviously evolved over the last two years when we're thinking about, um, you know, obviously the pandemic switching a lot of people to different uh, asset classes, different retail opportunities and stuff like that. And NFTs really did seem to be the... Uh, the champion of 2021. I think at one point, I always mention this, but at, at one point, I think Time had it, Times had it as its word of the year, NFT, which I thought was very interesting. And seeing how many people were so able to seamlessly transition, transition from things like reselling sneakers or reselling uh, tech parts, obviously the graphics card game is a big one still, yeah. even to this day. But um, think, thinking about uh, how you got started here in the last five to six months, what's, have, what's been your opinion and what's been your experience like here? so far so uh my opinion is that it's uh an amazing opportunity for a lot of people and i don't think people realize how early people still are to this space because recently i i, I saw uh, an instagram post from metamask saying only 1.5 million users exist on the on uh the the platform and i thought that was really surprising judging by how viral nfts have been going worldwide and everything yet only there's only been 1.5 million users. And I feel like, uh, if anything, it makes uh, people a lot more comfortable being that they're able to do all these great things yet in the comfort of their own home. And it kind of is beginning to normalize just technology in itself. And as our generation grows older, our children will be more uh, like uh, affiliated with this kind of technology as well. 
which is kind of different from uh, our parents who are much older now and aren't really used to this technology. Yeah, I think I think that's actually really interesting, too, that you brought that up, how uh, generational divides. Our generation is priming this next generation that's following us to become more comfortable with the concepts of uh, Web3 and digital assets. I remember uh, hearing recently, and this this is a complete tangent, but this uh, not a complete tangent, but uh, how El Salvador has an aging population despite having uh, being the first place to like publicly adopt Bitcoin as uh, a store of value and as a their currency, and and you really look at how like places around the world, not necessarily here in first world countries. Obviously, we will always reap the benefits of it, but we're seeing that places like Africa that has a completely younger uh, average of of people who have like a younger age of age of life. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm phrasing that completely uh, wrong, but I think you know what I mean. Um, but how places with this young age group are now really going to be driving tomorrow's wave of uh, people who interact with Bitcoin or blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies and Web3 as a whole. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. That also uh, reminds me of, uh, I remember there's this one project of this kid from, uh, I forgot what country it was, but he just took a picture of himself for like uh, like two years or so and then mm -hmm. uploaded it onto OpenSea and it went viral and he made like uh, millions of dollars in uh, in royalties and whatnot. And now he's like labeled as like a, like a celebrity in the, the country that he's from. So I thought that uh, really interesting that worldwide a lot of people uh, people our age are like seeing this and like, wow, like ev anything is really possible, like on the internet. Yeah. The, this empowerment is, is super interesting. And obviously you in the span of the last five to six months that you've been involved here in the NFT space, and you're not unfamiliar with the idea of buying and reselling, but ultimately your journey has led you to the uh, discovery of the Arbitron network and of magic. And for people at home, can you, give a brief description of what Arbitrum is and why people like you and me are so hyped about it. Because I did, I, I'll be completely frank, I was very unfamiliar with it. I've heard of it, but I didn't really know the nuances of it. But in my own reading, I thought it was pretty interesting. But what made it interesting to you? So what I found interesting about Arbitrum was the fact that gas fees are incredibly low. And this is uh, an amazing thing because a lot of like turndowns to the whole NFT trading is the fact that gas fees are like killer for uh, your profits. And mm -hmm. like uh, if you fail a transaction, you could lose hundreds or thousands of dollars on the, the layer one Ethereum platform. But on Arbitrum, it, is, uh, it aims to speed up transaction times and cut fees on the, the blockchain. So in a nutshell, it kind of just makes everything much cheaper and it just simplifies everything. So I think that a lot of uh, projects and communities kind of want to are gravitating towards that platform because uh, if you're ahead of a project and you, you, don't, you don't have to have people worry about losing money on gas fees or anything, if you have like a, a free mint, then they're going to be paying uh, pretty much like maybe a few bucks. But even sometimes on the layer one platform, it could be a free mint, yet you're still paying maybe like 0.1 in gas or yeah. uh, again, a couple hundreds or maybe thousands of dollars. Yeah, and that discrepancy and that disparity is something I feel like a lot of people don't understand. And for the viewers listening at home, uh, I feel like a lot of our listeners are very uh, familiar with the concept of gas and gas fees. But for people who might be unfamiliar with it, um, for every transaction that happens on the Ethereum network or any network, there's a small percentage that you're giving to the network to be able to 
uh, complete these transactions. So unlike traditional um, traditional marketplaces like eBay or any any traditional marketplace where if you buy or sell something, there's no real fee associated with that. Here on Web3, there's a fee because everything is so decentralized. But um, think, thinking about um, this platform and seeing how people are, like you said, are gravitating to this, um, what, in your opinion, has been um, some of the bigger success stories here on the Arbitrum Network? So in terms of that, there's, uh, there's obviously the, the most notable project, which I believe is Small Brains. Mm-hmm. And the whole small community itself in which I think people just had to draw a picture of a monkey and they would get whitelisted and then mint the, the small brain. And now that free mint, which they paid maybe like maybe four or five dollars for is now worth about like a two ETH equivalent in magic, which is about like five, five ish thousand dollars, even more if the price of ETH goes up. So and that kind of just set the, the bar for upcoming projects that are now introduced on the, the L2 network. Because uh, a lot of people that want to make these projects want people to feel as safe as possible and that there's like minimal risk to investing into their project. So going into the Arbitrum network and basically this is like the cheapest way for people to enter in our project and feel the most safe and pay the, the least amount of money is uh, kind of like the mindset for a lot of these uh, communities that are uh, bringing up, that are coming up. Interesting, interesting, and I, I, I really do, I really do appreciate the, uh, the amount of investment that uh, Arbitrum is putting into these projects because I was, I was looking at it, and they're being very supportive of what people and developers can do on their platform and make possible. And obviously, outside of trading and outside of you know asset reselling, buying, um, you're also a moderator on a project called Lost Samurais. Uh, do you mind telling me? A little more about that project and how you came across it and how you got involved. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, it's uh, the Lost Samurais is a play to earn game on the on the Arbitrum network, which again is a uh, low gas fees and uh, very very uh, affordable for people to enter in. And how this works is you play the Lost Samurais game, but you mm-hmm. also at the same time are playing uh, the game called Bridge World. And Bridgeworld is a game where other communities and other games can build on top of it. And it's kind of like the, the core to like the core game to the, the Arbitrum network, which is established by TreasureDAO. And um, at the same time, you're also playing the, the physical game of the, the Lost Samurais, in which you stake your samurai and you earn land and many other things. And the, the fun uh, key to this is that the half of the, the samurais are free, completely free mints on the on actually it's on layer one of ethereum which is mm-hmm. d- very different from many other projects as a lot of other projects are minted on l2 yeah. but specifically for the lost samurais it's being minted on layer one but with a heavily gas optimized uh contract so even though you're on l1 you'll still be paying a very cheap amount in gas but that's for a specific reason that revolves around how the game works and to make this game successful uh, how how it works is uh, no worries. Sorry, you're, just, uh... you're running a train of thought. No worries about that. Actually, uh, that leads me to a great tangent point here because I, I was thinking about um, speaking more on your own personal experience, and we'll return back to Lost Samurais later because I have a a couple of questions regarding uh, projects like this and regarding Bridge World. But what what in your opinion, Miles, um, made you 
want to switch from being your regular participant because I participate in a lot of communities. A lot of people listening participate in a lot of communities, but not a lot of people take that next step to become more involved with the communities that they're interested in. Things like small, small bears or small brains and lost samurais by extension. What, what made you want to make that switch to being just a regular participant of the community and now becoming a, a moderator and a big part of making that community work together? Yeah, so how, how that happened was, uh, at first, when I found The Lost Samurais, it was actually off of uh, Twitter, and it was a combination of Twitter and YouTube, where I saw uh, this uh, YouTuber, Giancarlo Buys Tokens, and he uh, made a video about the, the magic uh, ecosystem and the, the treasure DAO, and then on Twitter, I saw that a lot of these projects were coming up, but they had like a really small following. But to me, I saw that as like an opportunity to get in on the project early, because uh, I, I've never liked that sometimes I would like, I would see a project that people are talking about and it's be like, I, I probably won't look into that. But then later on, it gets a lot more hype. And then I was like, okay, I now like, let me get into this. And then there's like a hundred something thousand people in the server. And then it's like, uh, there's so much competition to begin with to like even compete to try to get whitelisted or to, to be like a more involved with the community. But as I saw these uh, projects coming up, I saw the Lost Samurais. It, at first, it was a really small community, only maybe a few thousand people, like maybe four or five thousand people in the Discord. And I was just like, I'll just join it and then see what it's about. And I joined. And I, it was a really interesting uh, community because it's not just like uh, you would join and try to get whitelisted and that was it. There was like a, a plethora of other kinds of roles that people could earn. And these roles would be certain items or airdrops or. Um, NFTs that can be uh, brought to you in the game. So it's like you can get whitelisted, but then you can now earn additional bonuses on top of that, which would keep people engaged in the community. So it's not just like you could go and try to get whitelisted and then leave and then you're done. You could still stick around and still get rewarded for it because I know how the, the NFT Discord space works. That's like you get whitelist, move on to the next. You want to conserve the most time possible for yourself. But, uh, the Samurai's uh, team and community easily uh, keeps people engaged in their community and uh, appreciates the, the original supporters. And I stuck around in the chat and I got to know a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And the, the team fortunately reached out to me and asked if I would want to be a part of their team and become a moderator. So I uh, gladly took that opportunity because I, I truly do uh, like love the community and love where the game's going and its direction. So I feel like the best kinds of moderators in general for the projects aren't the people who like just join and apply to become a moderator because they want to make money. It's the people that started with the project and grew with the project. And those who seem like noticeable could be asked to truly be a part of the team. It's more organic, in my opinion. No, I, I completely uh, understand. I was going to say a quick note that I'd like to add to that. On top of uh, these magic projects being so good at captivating and engaging the community in their discords all the free mints entirely just help bring human capital and volume to the l2 network which long term is just going to do really good and it's going to reflect positively on treasure dow and the price of magic that's why a lot of these discords have magic trackers because the engagement and all this authentic engagement is just going to translate into a bigger and bigger DAO, which is just going to translate into a bigger and bigger magic coin and a bigger layer two community. During the height of the bull market around this December, 
ZK rollups were like the biggest talk and optimism and just uh, scalability solutions. And what I feel like this is in its very own form is an NFT scalability solution that won't take us away from Ethereum and yet solves the problem that everybody has with Ethereum. What's so good about it? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that, um, that perspective on it, because like, like you said, it leans on the security of Ethereum while being able to address some of the detractors and the, the, the things that pull away. And like, um, like Miles, like you were saying, like a tight-knit community, a community that's supported by the project itself and leveraging the powers of just improving technology uh, shows great confidence and great uh, key indicators as to why Arbitrum's such a great uh, solution for this. And speaking speaking more on um, your experience, Miles, about being a moderator, and obviously, like you said, how how positive your experience has been with uh, Lost Samurais. Um, what 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 has your experience been like being a moderator? What has it been like being involved with this with this project, and what have been your responsibilities as a moderator? Yeah, so uh, honestly, it was quite an easy adjustment for me because uh, before I got into that NFT space and everything, uh, it sounds kind of funny, but I was a summer I was a summer camp counselor for uh, one of my local uh, camps, and so for years I would constantly be dealing with like little children and <laughs> just annoying like people, like little kids that like keep nagging you and whatnot and i was just like when i first became a mod i was like you know some of those points kind of align with what i used to do as a summer camp counselor but when i was a summer camp counselor there was no mute button or a kick button that could just like remove someone from the like the the conversation you're having or just the space that you're in you kind of just had to sit down that person and talk to them and kind of just like like truly settle things instead of just putting a a, a lock on it yeah. So I kind of wanted to apply that same kind of mindset that I had. And if I see someone that's like flooding the server or just being like obnoxious, I still tr treat it with a professional manner. And although it, it can seem repetitive, it's just kind of like as a mod, you're kind of the, the you're, you're what the project looks like because you're the ones talking to all the community members. So you don't want to sound like some entitled person that sounds like you're better than everyone just because you have a, you're a different color on Discord. You still have to talk to people like they're normal people. So that's kind of how I see everything. And I try to make sure that I don't like abuse any power and that if someone, if someone genuinely has a problem, then I'll talk to that person like it's a person in person, not just like some random person on the internet. I, I, I highly respect your professionalism coming, with, uh, coming to this space because obviously there is a... Like you mentioned very earlier in the program that there's a high level of competition that's intrinsically built into NFT communities as a whole, not just any particular project, but just everybody challenging and fighting each other. And you end up with a lot of egos from all across the world from different locations. And yet you're coming with this kind of professional mindset. And that actually leads to a very good tangent, uh, because I remember talking with uh, Ennis and, and Nori on a previous episode um, when we were talking about what it's like being a moderator from her perspective and and like the kind of time sink that goes into every single person's day and how they have to organize. Um, I, I know it's different for everybody else, but Miles, if you don't mind me asking, what does a normal uh, work week, quote unquote, look like for you here in the world of Web3 and 
and how do you manage to keep yourself organized? Yeah, so for me, I, I'm also like a full-time student mm -hmm. in, uh, in college. So I try to juggle my Web3 life with my school life because obviously I want to make sure that I can maintain both because of course I'd love to uh, do crypto full-time, but I feel like I'm still perfectly fine managing with, um, with being in school and then being in this Web3 community. So uh, for balancing my time, I try to make sure that uh, I prioritize my schoolwork when it's given, but mm -hmm. when I have free time, I always try to make an hour or two where I fully like immerse myself and dedicate mm -hmm. myself to the the obligations that I have, especially as a mod. So as a mod in like communities, I'll like uh, it's always good to just talk to people and get to know people because you also never know who you're talking to either. Like you want to make sure that you're talking appropriately to uh, all the people that are entering your servers and for organization, I try to, to label my Discord with all the channels that I'm in and make sure the, the ones that I'm a moderator in or that I'm truly involved in are in a, in a certain order, kind of like chronologically from most important to least important. Mm -hmm. And just try to check up on them, like maybe uh, a couple times a day. And if, uh, if a server that I'm moderating in, like uh, Samurai's, I try to keep that as a priority that if I think of Discord, I think, okay, I have to go here first make sure that everything is going smoothly and then transition on to the next one. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's really, I, I, I also have a similar set of uh, prioritization. I have a whiteboard here in my house. I just have everything written up. I, I know that um, Nori had a similar um, uh, style of organization as well. And if you don't mind me asking, how many, how, many, how many communities are you actively involved with at any given time? I don't mean like obviously the passive ones, but I mean like you, you give a moderate to high level of prioritization. So uh, for me, I prioritize my time in about maybe three, uh, around three average three servers. Mm. And uh, I do this because I don't want to stretch myself out too thin. I don't want to be in like every server possible, but then really I, I don't really get any, I'm just like scratching the service by just like, like talking to people and also kind of just drains the life out of you sometimes. Yeah. Just like constantly rotating between different communities and it kind of just like, you're putting all this like work and stress on yourself. But if you just kind of take things slowly and just think of it as more quality over quantity, then you'll do well in this space because then you can just uh, focus your time on one thing. If you, uh, can uh, affiliate yourself a lot more with the community and then maybe take a step back once you get whitelisted, but still still be involved here and there, depending on how much like, you like the project and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, I just want to make sure I never stretch myself out too thin. Yeah, and, and it goes, goes back with that, that work-life balance. I know me and Ennis talk about this all the time. Like There's a, there's a certain level of, of real-world obligations that you can't obviously dismiss, but there's also this fascinating world of Web3 that we're all in that is not only highly profitable because base minimum, there's always a, bare, a bottom line to always keep up, but there's also like the, just the fascination of the new. But that fascination also tends to lead some people to stretch themselves pretty thin. And I think, I think that in order to be as professional as you are in all these different uh, communities that you're a part of, and obviously you have a high level of professionalism, um, that organization is super necessary. and um, Thinking, thinking about the the projects that you're always looking at, and um, yeah, bringing a little more back to like the different projects that you're looking at. What are the common key elements between all these projects that you're looking at, and why do they uh, interest you? If you had to give a general uh, definition to it. 
Yeah, so uh, for me, what I look in a project is first uh, the size of their community. And I'm saying either good, like big or small, because sometimes having a large community is, could be a red flag depending on how that community came to be. For example, there's, you see a lot of projects that have uh, like invite contests where it's just like invite 10 people, get whitelisted. So there'll be rapid growth in the project. You'll have like maybe 80,000 people or so in the project. But then once the, the drop happens, the NFTs release, and you'll check the Discord again the next day, it'll just be barren. There'll be no one there, no talking whatsoever. And it's not really an organic community because that's kind of what NFTs are about. It's about having this community of people because if there's no one truly supporting the project through thick and thin, then there's going to be no hope for that project. Because in reality, not every project and a lot of projects, it's not just consistently up. There's always going to be a down. There's always going to be a dip. And that's when, as soon as some people uh, see a dip, it just falls, like the community falls apart and then it's just, it's just gone and then on to the next. So what I look for is if a project is organically grown in which like there's no incentive for invites and there's no incentive for grinding either because a lot of projects that require levels and whatnot, that's also a form of inorganic growth because you're essentially forcing people to talk to get a whitelist and they're not kind of choosing to spend their time there on their free will. There, there's like a goal for them. And once they reach that level, then they're not going to be in the chat anymore. Yeah. So for, for projects that just don't encourage invites and don't encourage growth, but just lets the community handle it, those are the projects that I like to look out for, especially ones that uh, on the Arbitrum network that are free mints because most of the, it's kind of just like a trend for L2 NFTs for mm -hmm. it to be a free mint. So if it's an organically grown free mint project on the L2 network, then realistically, if it releases, it has a strong community, it's a free mint, then there's only one way the market can go. Because if people are paying like maybe a dollar, a few dollars to mint their NFT, how much could it really tank? So there's only, there's only one way the market could go, and that would be up. So that's kind of why I'm very bullish on the, the whole Arbitrum network to begin with. Yeah, and, and, and touching back on the Arbitrum network, because I know we got a little distracted, I, I, I wanted to touch more on, on the, the personal lifestyle that you have here and your personal relationship with it. But thinking more on the technical uh, standpoint for people who may not know, um, what is the relationship specifically with these, uh, these L2 projects on Arbitrum and the greater treasure DAO ecosystem? I know you mentioned Bridgeworld, but I, I, I will be honest, I'm not very familiar with a lot of the concepts of Bridgeworld. So what is Bridgeworld and what is treasure DAO as a whole? Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, I got I got a bit like uh, fumbled my words a little bit back then too when I was talking about uh, Samurais because I was juggling talking about Bridgeworld and the game itself. So mm -hmm. I probably should take a step back first and just explain what Bridgeworld is and the treasure treasure ecosystem. So Treasure DAO is essentially kind of like the Nintendo of the NFT space, in which they're an organization that kind of approves uh, other projects to be on in their ecosystem. So. How this works is because you know for Nintendo, it's they Nintendo doesn't make their own games really. It's other companies that make their games and then go through Nintendo to sell them. Because if you're a small like uh, group making a video game, you're not gonna have any chance selling that video game in a competition with other companies like Nintendo and Sony and whatnot. So mm -hmm. what they do is they go to Nintendo, be like, we have this game. You guys can check it out, see if you like it. If you like it, you can label it as Nintendo. And then you can sell it and take whatever royalties, et cetera. And that's kind of similar to how uh, the Treasure DAO ecosystem works, in which 
a lot of projects will come up making making interesting games or other communities, and they'll they'll send it to TreasureDAO. And if TreasureDAO approves of their project, then they can list it on the the Treasure Market and become uh, more integrated with the the Treasure community. So that's that's something really interesting that I found out about uh, the whole Magic ecosystem because the the Magic token is mm-hmm. uh, Treasure's uh, NFT coin. So instead of like making your own NFT video game, uh, play to earn game, and just making your own random token, it's a lot more volatile to be in, to involve yourself with that game because if the game goes down, then the token goes down. Yeah. But if you but if you go through uh, Treasure and they allow you to use their their magic token, then it's it'll be a lot more stable for people to use it, and it'll be a, a lot less risky to involve yourself in playing that game, which is why. Uh, I believe Treasure will continue to to gradually become more popular as a lot of more game owners will will seek to uh, travel to like uh, gravitate towards sorry that ecosystem, uh, to that ecosystem right uh yeah so if 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 you don't mind me making the allegory here in in a way Lost Samurais is the Zelda or the just the independent indie game that gets launched on like Nintendo's platform that. Uh, is published through Nintendo, with Treasure being the Nintendo allegory here. Uh, yes. So the thing is with uh, with Treasure though, is that uh, Treasure is a lot of projects can use the Magic Token, but not a lot of them can be can be fully affiliated with uh, the Treasure community itself. Mm-hmm. So there's only a, a couple projects that are uh, that are more affiliated, which is uh, Battlefly, Toadstools, Peekaboo, and uh, it takes a lot more effort for a lot of other projects to fully get uh, in line with uh, the whole treasure community. And uh, a lot of projects are able to, to integrate the magic token into uh, their game. Now, um, so with the, the L2 network, uh, if the Samurai's, uh, if it were to get uh, 100% improved with treasure, then yeah, it would pretty much be considered a, uh, like a Zelda-like game of like the treasure platform. But I can't confirm uh, yet whether or not uh, Samurai's will be a, a fully 100% aligned with TreasureDAO. But uh, in essence, yes, if a project is uh, approved with TreasureDAO to be uh, completely affiliated with their ecosystem, then yeah, it'd be pretty much considered similar to like a, a game like Zelda. Awesome. And, and obviously, as time progresses and obviously as the, the development team works out and irons stuff out, uh, things will change, obviously, for the people who are listening at home. Um, things that are said today may not necessarily be true even six hours from now, but the, 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 the fact is, is that, um, in your opinion, uh, and this will probably be the last thing I have to ask about Lost Samurais, but with your engagement with that community, with your engagement with the team, what is your opinion about Lost Samurais' future moving forward as a play-to-earn game on the uh, Arbitrum network? So I think it's going to be, I think it's looking very bright because I also have to mention that although it's not confirmed whether or not Samurai's is a fully 100% affiliated with uh, TreasureDAO, I can say that in a, a Treasure article that was posted, uh, se- uh, they have mentioned Samurai's as a quote, Samurai's design is an excellent example of the creativity facil- facilitated by Treasure's building blocks. And what this means is that the whole Treasure ecosystem is games building on top of the Treasure uh, network. Mm-hmm. So the Samurai's is credited for having an original style of game and as i tried to explain before how samurai's works is that you mint on the 
the L uh, L one network, and it's it's half a free mint, half a paid mint, and uh, the whole point of the game is they all, the the team will stake a huge amount of uh, liquidity into the the magic ecosystem, and especially like the the bridge world staking, and how they acquire more uh, funds to stake into the game will be based off the secondary market royalties. So the most popular uh, secondary market currently for NFTs is OpenSea, but that is an L1 marketplace. But to gather more liquidity, it makes more sense to, to mint on the layer one network so more people can sell on OpenSea. And 100% of the royalties will be allocated into the, the community holdings of the bridge build game. So as you stake your samurai, you'll also be uh, earning magic emissions as well as the samurai's uh, in-game token. So you'll be playing uh, Bridge World and uh, uh, the Lost Samurai's game at the same time because your uh, the funds will be staked in Bridge World and as well as you play the Samurai's game. And that's, Bridge that's World really itself, I don't think I've touched on it before, but Bridge World is essentially just uh, like the collaborative uh, pool of all these projects accumulating into to one game in which that a lot of projects can build on top of Bridge World and use the magic token and use uh, the treasure that's in Bridgeworld and involve it with their own game, but at the same time, uh, bringing it into the the bigger community of the Bridgeworld itself. It kind of it kind of is a, a hard to explain a little bit, but I'm just trying to simplify it. Sorry if it's not as uh, as no, coherent no, no. as I, I thought. I I perfectly understand. I feel like you've been very uh, deliberate in what you've been saying with regards yeah. to that. Um, and uh, and obviously um. Just just to hammer this last point, because something you said there was actually very interesting uh, compared to a lot of projects that exist out there. Um, if, if I heard correctly, and please clarify me if I'm wrong, uh, um, the Lost Samurai's team is already putting up liquidity for their game to be successful rather than relying 100% on NFT sales. So they've got an operation already working in the background, um, even without the hype and built-in uh, NFT uh, popular economics that are brought in from the initial mint. Yes. So what another thing that I quickly want to bring in about uh, these free mint projects is that if you think about it, if you're making uh, a play to earn game, that's a free mint. So you're really not going to be making that much money. So how are you going to be paid for like, how would you be compensated for this if everyone buying your product is paying nothing? So and how that is, is that you pay you a lot of these projects pay themselves with their own NFTs. So if you're the developer of a game and you spend so much time on this game, you want to make sure that your project is good and that people want to buy your, your, your NFTs and your tokens because that's where your profit is going to come from, from building this game itself. Because you're not making any uh, money from people just paying nothing to, to get your NFT. But if you, make, if you take like uh, maybe 50 NFTs for yourself because you're the one who made this game and you want the game to be good, the NFTs will increase in value and that's when you come in. So it's kind of an incentive for, for these game builders and these project uh, builders for these free mints to make sure that they do a good job so that they can reward themselves with what they've made. And rightfully so. They, they put in the time, they put in the work, and they want to succeed. So why wouldn't they reinvest into the very community that they're building up? Yeah. And uh, I, I, think, I think that's really interesting. I feel like we touched on a lot of stuff, but I, I, we're coming towards the end of the program right now. So before we leave, uh, Miles, what are you looking forward to in your own personal exploration of Web3? And how can people follow you on your journey? 
So um, <clears throat> for me, I'm just really looking forward to how play to earn gaming is going to be more normalized in the, the future because I know esports is kind of just uh, on regular video games and whatnot. But I feel like maybe in a year or so, we can maybe see more professional gaming, but in like the, the metaverse and the, the NFT space and in investing yourself into these uh, these games that are successful can really be like playoff long term if it's done correctly, because as our technology innovates are the, the next generation of people that are going to exist on this earth are going to be more affiliated with technology because their parents are just like how a lot of the, the metaverse and the people in the NFT space are are a lot of younger people mm -hmm. that's that's really cool that's dope and, and miles thank you so very much once again for hopping on our program uh before we go if there's anything that you want to say to the people listening at home uh the floor is yours uh, i just want to say thank you for tuning in i'm happy this is the first time i've ever been invited to do a podcast and i'm more than happy to talk about these things and uh, i'm grateful for this opportunity and excited to come back in the future ladies and gentlemen miles Lost Samurais, Ennis, thank you for joining us on this episode as well. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.